join others in prayer. Uh, all kinds of folks here I just want you to be aware of. Uh, it, it is a Widener family reunion. So can all the Wideners wave? All the Wideners? All y'all, please wave so you... <clears throat> Great to have Dave is back in town visiting from Houston. And uh, Aaron and Kim are about to, to go serve our country in Okinawa, Japan. So for the next four years, right? And thank you guys for serving and being a part of the military on our behalf. We miss you. Uh, today is the last Sunday for Brian Winnikin. He's our, one of our Tulane students. Where are you, Brian? He's headed to Vanderbilt. Stand up, Brian. Great to have you, buddy. Thanks for being here. It's been a pleasure. Uh, he... he He's got to be smart and not love sports. I'm just assuming that, Brian. I don't know you real well, but you, know, you, you were at Tulane. That says the same thing that I just said. And now you're going to Vanderbilt, and you're just repeating the same mistake. So that's true. Ba- Vanderbilt figured out how to play baseball this year. That's awesome. So they must have a – take that class when you go, the baseball class. It's the only one that, that's any good. But other than that, enjoy. <laughs> uh, and we also have a first-time visitor, Mr. Knox Richard May is here. Can we see him? There he is, the man. He's ready for college. He looks enormous, right? It's like, wow, that's not a newborn. <laughs> uh, well, if you'll open up the word to Acts chapter 20, we're continuing our study of the book of Acts. And I'm going to just make a note as we engage these passages here. These, these would probably be passages sometimes we'd be tempted to rush past or not spend much time in. Uh, but just, you know, a tip for reading passages. When, you know, when we come to the Bible, we find a lot of people doing a lot of things. And those passages are written down for us to benefit from, but, but they don't come with a little paragraph or a little parentheses attached to them that tells us exactly how to use them. So when you read things that people did, you have to interpret, are, are these things things that we should do? Or is it just examples of things that they did? Or is there just some wisdom here that we could benefit from? Or do we have to do exactly what they did? Right? You have to read the Bible and ask some of those questions. Right? Uh, so we have some great principles that we draw from. You know, there was the day that this massive group of people followed Moses out into the wilderness and Moses is trying to minister to them. One guy trying to minister to a few million, and he's having a little calendar scheduling problem. Can you imagine? People are standing in line. They're waiting and waiting and waiting, and and his father-in-law has a word from God for him. Jethro comes and says, "Uh, Moses, this is going to kill you, and it's going to kill them. Uh, So here's what you should do. And this wisdom was divide the people up into groups of tens and put a leader over them and groups of fifties and put a leader over them and hundreds and leader for them and thousands and leader for them and, and, and let them organize their needs underneath that structure. Uh, now you walk away from that passage, you read it in the Bible. What, what, what do you do with that? You know, what do we do with that as a church? Is that a mandate that once you get 50 people, you put a leader over them. Once you get a hundred people, put a leader over them. Uh, how do we manage that passage? Right? You, you bump into this in the New Testament, Acts chapter 6. We studied through the book of Acts. The, the church is becoming a little sloppy and dysfunctional in Jerusalem. Its explosive growth has, has brought in all kinds of people, all kinds of needs. And next thing you know, guys who are supposed to be given to the ministry of the word and prayer are finding themselves involved in day-to-day needs in people's lives in a way that God makes known to them, hey, uh, that's not what I have for this group to be doing. Let's raise up some other leaders to do that. All right, well, does that passage teach that people who preach and study the word should never be involved with other needs in the, in the body of Christ? Or is it just telling us an example of these kinds of situations are going to happen? Set your priorities and, and be wise about how you go about doing that. Well, I think it's more the latter than the former. Um, but we learn from these patterns. And today we're going to see a pattern in scripture. We're going to observe apostolic ministry uh, in, I titled the message, Lessons from Logistics. Uh, These are passages that we might just ignore. You know, we might not make a big deal out of them because they're very logistical. 
Paul was doing this. This guy was doing that. They went here. They stopped here. They didn't stay here for too long. They went on to do that. It's just, it sounds like transfer information. It's the kind of stuff that we're looking at. We're going, I don't know if there's really much ministry in this for me. But it's going to highlight something that we need to understand and be aware of. It's going to highlight extra local ministries involvement in the local church. So there's a bunch of local churches that we've been visiting throughout the book of Acts. And they've been visited by extra local leaders, certain times and occasions, extra local other ministers than the local guys are coming into that setting and they're doing ministry in people's lives and they're touching that church in a particular way. And the Bible chose to write about that. It chose to explain that to us. Now, this is one of those topics that when I see it in scripture, I get really excited about it. But I understand that you may be here this morning going, oh, great. I chose to bring a friend on a logistic Sunday. Um, you know, we, we develop an appetite for messages that jump into our world and, and how we function in it and what's hurting, what's working, uh, messages that pump up faith and tell us that we're a child of destiny and if you just go for it, things will go well and principles on how to live our lives. But if God chose to put this kind of a word in his word, he could have left this out. He could have said, you know, no one's going to want to read about this. I'm just going to leave this part out. But God thought his church needs to know and understand this. And so we're going we're gonna to sit down in some logistics today. And here's what I, uh, lessons on observing these kinds of passages. I think I put this in your outline. Let's one, let's observe. Let's just see what's there. Right? Let's learn from the example God gives. Second, let's determine what should be, or at last, at least would be wise for us to duplicate. What should we be doing with these passages? How should we be similar to what we see here in Scripture? And third, let's consider how we should practice what we see here. Keeping in mind and guarding ourselves, and this should be true of how we view a lot of observations in Scripture, that we don't over-regulate what we see here. Right? Sometimes we look at something in Scripture, God's just telling it that's what they did, and then we create rules all around what they did. And then if anybody anywhere else ever did something a little bit different than what they did, then it's like flags go up and let's call the, the elders together. This is all, it's all wrong, all wrong. Well, no, sometimes those are just examples of what they did that help us understand how we should do things. But they're not necessarily mandates that you've got to do it exactly that way. So let, let's figure out what's here and what we need to make use of and learn from. Well, here we are, Acts chapter 20. I think we've got a little map to locate us on, on our journey here with, with Paul. First six verses. Um, right, this, is, this is Paul's third missionary journey. And, and, and this is going to cover, if you see over here, he's starting in Antioch. And he's going to cross over through Galatia and Phrygia. And he's going to spend some time in Ephesus, almost, almost three years in Ephesus. And he's going to go north through uh, Macedonia, then down through Greece, and then he's going to turn around and go back. The back trip is pretty quick. He's three years there in Ephesus. The whole route takes about five years. So this began in, in Acts chapter 18. It's going to run all the way to Jerusalem into Acts chapter 21. And you've got about five years going on in those three chapters. So that gives you an idea what kind of pace of time we're moving through the scriptures here. But let, let's look at the passage here, this logistical passage of verse 1 through Six in Acts 20. It says, after the uproar ceased, remember Peter preached us into an uproar last week, if y'all weren't here for that. Uh, he created a riot. He recreated the riot of Ephesus for us. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, that's back towards Jerusalem, he decided to return through Macedonia. So now he's going to go back north and retrace his steps. So Potter the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derb, and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. 
But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days, we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. Well, Lord, this just sounds like uh, looking at somebody's travel plan schedule. Somebody went here, went there, went there, caught this boat. But, Lord, there is important insights tucked away in these passages for us to understand what you have ordained for ministry into our lives and into the lives of local churches and into the lives of leaders as these churches seek to be healthy and flourish. Well, Lord, that's who we are. We're a local church seeking to be healthy. We want to flourish in the calling that you've given us. And so these passages help us understand how you do that in our lives. So Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to focus in primarily on apostolic ministry. That's what we've been tracking along with as we've been hanging out with Paul and his companions going from place to place and even earlier on with the guys from Jerusalem. And apostolic ministry, I want us to understand its nature, its influence, and its benefit and its necessity in our lives. So I've just broken out some thoughts here. The first would be the the nature and necessity of apostolic ministry. And I want to I find this in the book of Acts, not just in this one passage, because this passage is similar to a bunch of other passages. So first point I want to make is apostolic ministry preaches the gospel to the lost. Uh, that's, that's not necessarily rocket science, but that's what apostolic ministry has as a message. If it's trying to say anything, if it's, it's going through the difficulty, and it's very difficult to go from place to place, if it's going through the danger of going from place to place, and it was very dangerous, what's its message when it gets there? When all that effort lands in front of people, what's the message for people? What, what need in people's lives is it trying to go after? Well, it, it, it only wants to preach the gospel to them. Right? It doesn't really want to accomplish anything else other than that. Acts chapter 13, verse 48. When the Gentiles, this is a first missionary journey, when the Gentiles heard this, this explanation of Jesus being the Christ, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Then later on, second missionary journey, that, one, that situation was in Asia. This one's in Greece, Acts 17. And Paul went in, and as was his custom, on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. They were teamed together in apostolic ministry, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. All right, this, this is helpful for us in sort of a side-handed way. When they show up to proclaim the gospel, they are doing it in a very pluralistic religious society. Like the one that we live in. We don't, you know, we're, we're the land of America where people are free to believe whatever they want to believe and practice whatever they want to believe. And so there's uh, non-religious people. And there's religious people here. There are Christians. There are Jews. There are traditional people that are moral. And their morals are based in something like Christianity. They're not Christians. They're just moral people who have their morals shaped by Christianity. There are a growing contingency of Muslims in our country. One of the great challenges for our nation is to be... uh, you know, we're, we're not, it's a nice concept, cute, but one nation under God, uh, we can't figure out who God is, so it's kind of a little hard to be one nation under God. But we're one nation under one government, and that government has a variety of people in it who have a bunch of different views on religion. So the government begins to sort of sound like, hey, 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 those of you with really strong opinions about your religion, you need to kind of keep that to yourself because you, you don't play well with the other children. So, you know, don't, don't stir stuff up. Don't be a problem. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. Everybody needs to be able to go ahead and believe whatever it is that they want to believe. This is America, and that's a freedom. Okay, that's, that's fine for the government to sound that way, but the church should never sound that way. 
Christianity is intolerant of every other view. It was necessary, necessary, this Bible says, for Jesus Christ to be the Christ and to die and to be resurrected. It was necessary for whatever it was that that accomplished. Now, if it didn't accomplish anything, well, then preach whatever you want. But it did accomplish something. His death removed the consequence of man's sin. And his resurrection presents us alive to God. Well, that matters a little bit. It is the message of apostolic Christianity. Christianity has got no other message. So when it travels throughout the world, as we see here, it bumps, at first it bumps into very religious, traditional Jews. And Christianity stands in the face of religious, traditional Jews and says, you haven't arrived. You're close, you got some pretty good ideas, but you've shouldered all this in your own efforts and you have made null and void the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And and you need to turn away from that and embrace grace. So it challenges Judaism. Then it moves a little farther and it bumps into the Roman world and the Greek world with all the Roman gods and the Greek gods. Gentile world that seeks pleasure behind a variety of gods. And it confronts that and it says, those are empty this is, these gods are empty. They're, they're actually demons in this world, not gods in this world. They're, and there is a way back to God, and it's only through Jesus Christ. And it, it presents the same message everywhere it goes. So it, it is a contrary message. That's what apostolic ministry brought to people, a contrary message. And you and I live in that same calling. We bring a contrary message into a pluralized society. Just because the government says everybody can believe whatever they want to believe, that's not what God says. So don't don't get comfortable letting the government speak for God. It doesn't. God speaks for God, and he sent apostolic ministry. And by the way, the reason why you and I are Christians today, obviously it sits under the umbrella of God's providence that you and I are are Christians today, But, but we are Christians today because of apostolic ministry. Because of men moved by God, eager to take the gospel to one location after another. And you're going to see today, not just eager to take the gospel there, throw out some seeds and turn its back and say, hey, go. But eager to raise up disciples and to take the time that it was going to take for these disciples to be a part of local churches, to become strong and healthy and vibrant. And then for them to begin to send the gospel. If you didn't do both of those, if you just sent the message of the gospel, I don't think we'd be Christians today. The gospel found us this far away because the model that you see in these passages is a time-honored model. Apostolic ministry brings the gospel and it plants local churches and then healthy, vibrant local churches do that again and again and again and again until the gospel goes around the world. So we learn something about apostolic ministry there. Second, apostolic ministry strengthens, establishes, and encourages disciples, churches, and leaders. I want to sit down on this one for a moment, right? The beginning of this third missionary journey, Acts chapter 18, verse 23, says, he went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia. So the beginning, he went through this part of that part of the world, strengthening all the disciples. What was apostolic ministry doing? It was strengthening disciples, right? This is an area he's already been in. He's already preached the gospel in in Galatia. There's already churches in Galatia. The priority for them to go back was to revisit those who were already disciples. Because those who were already disciples needed something to happen in their lives. They needed strengthening. Some of the places he went back to were five years old, ten years old already in their church. So they... They weren't being brought the gospel for the first time. This wasn't groundbreaking. This was revisiting for another purpose. And that purpose was strengthening. And then into that journey, we're almost to the end. Acts chapter 20, the passage we just read. When he had gone through the region of Macedonia and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. Now those two words you're going to hear attached to apostolic ministry a lot in the New Testament. I'm going to show you a couple examples here. But I just want to cling to those two words because they, they, they open our eyes to something apostolic ministry does, but they open our eyes to ourselves. 
Those two words open my eyes to me and the need that exists in my life as an individual Christian, in my church as a member of this body, in me as a leader in this body. It opens my eyes to something that I need to have happen in my life, and it is that ministry that's brought called strengthening. Now, that word's strengthening. Here's what it means. I want to I look at these words carefully for a second, so just bear with me as we do some vocabulary here. Strengthening means to strengthen or support, literally to, to place firmly upon, to confirm, to establish. So when Paul and his band of apostolic ministers are traveling from place to place, they are strengthening the disciples. They are making firm the disciples. They are establishing the disciples. Right? So it's, it's one thing to get born again. It's another thing to get strengthened and established. Right? It's one thing to put, if you guys have ever built a fence, it's one thing to put a pole in the ground. It's another thing to dig a hole around it, put cement in it, put the pole down inside of it, level it just correctly, and then wait for that cement to dry. Now, if you've ever built a fence without doing that thing that I just described, you don't, that fence is laying on the ground right now, isn't it? Well, I just, stuck, I just stuck a pole in the ground and started attaching stuff to it. Yeah, and the wind came and the wind blew on it. And for a while there, it looked like a fence. You know, when it first went up, you know, it was a little unlevel, but it, it looked like a fence. But over time, rain, wind, soil changes, depth changes, begins to move, begins to change, pulls on it. Next thing you know, the conditions, your fence looks all over the place if it's still standing at all. Well, Initially, the gospel goes out, and if you will, there's a pole put in place. So, okay, we've started this thing. But what they understood to be critical was we need to go back and establish these things. There needs to be some depth and some strength given to these believers. The word means the strengthening is, is by God, the Lord, the truth, or others. Others play a role in our strengthening, right? Can, this is a great Sunday morning for us to, to lay our eyes on this idea, right? Others play a role in our strengthening. If you've been walking with Christ for very long, you'll know that's the truth. You'll know people have been in your life who have played a role in strengthening your faith. It presupposes an assault that threatens faith or zeal. Its aim is impregnability of faith in spite of afflictions. It presupposes an assault on your faith or your zeal, right? That's what this word does. It is seeking to establish and confirm and strengthen because it's preparing you for a day when the wind is going to blow really hard and the soil is going to move and there's going to be some great, great challenges in your life. And apostolic ministry knows that. And so it seeks to return to these places in order to strengthen and establish. Now, this, this advertises something about us. Right? Before I go back to apostolic ministry, this screams out about us, doesn't it? This screams and says, I need this. I need my faith to be strengthened. I need, first, my faith to be established. One thing, I'm born again. I crossed the finish line, into the road, right? No, no, glad you're born again. Nothing can go anywhere spiritually in your life until that happens. But there's an establishing of your faith. And there's a strengthening of your faith that still needs to happen. Let me just ask you a question here. And everybody to participate. How many of you guys have been, you've come to Christ in the last five years. Your, your salvation has been in the last five years. Let me just see, hold your hand up real high. Right, let me make it bigger than that. Stand up. If you've, you've come to Christ in the last five years, and if you don't stand up, you're going to hell. <laughs> That's how it works around here. All right, last five years. All right, stay standing, stay standing. Yeah. All right, now just, just stand with me for a second. 
Because Paul is revisiting churches where people had come to Christ in the last five years. Now, some of them more than that. And, and his ambition was, was to come back for you. To come back to establish your faith. So, so whatever took place in that initial moment of your salvation, the Bible is screaming out that God has designed an entire ministry to come back for you because there's more. There's more steps for you to take. Now, I, I, would, I would defend this from, from Scripture. It's not just the job of apostolic ministry. It's the job of the body of Christ. Right? We strengthen one another. We need one another. All right? Thank you, guys. You can, you can sit down. How many guys have come to Christ? Don't raise your hands again if you've already done this. In the last 10 years. Last 10 years. All right, you know, with your, thank you for standing up. Yeah, you own this baby. That's right. That's how it should look. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Um, now, listen, if I, if I go to 15 or if I go to 20, I'm never going to go to a point where I'm going to say, okay, now all you guys that are 20 and older, you don't need strengthening. All right, you do see I'm, I'm not going to go there because the Bible doesn't go there. It assumes that there's going to be a fight, there's going to be an onslaught, and every day of your life, every day of your existence here upon this earth, you're going to need strengthening in your life. Now, which, which makes me ask the question, what, what, what are you doing to be strengthened in your walk? If you, can't, if you can't put your hands on some things, and you can't put your hands on any people, let me just say it that way. Because there's an others category here of strengthening your faith. Listen, faith is vulnerable. Faith is in danger here. All right, this word presupposes an assault that threatens faith. All right, when the, when the devil came against Peter, it was his faith that he was after. Satan has demanded permission to sift you, Peter, like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. That's a, boy, that's a loaded phrase. You want to twist your brain for a second? Why is the Son of God praying that someone's faith, not just someone's, Peter's faith, would not fail? Why is he wasting his time? Doesn't Jesus know that faith can't fail? Doesn't he know that? Come on, he's the Son of God. I think he knows something about prayer, right? And yet he prays and intercedes. Some other did something for Peter that lets Peter have a storyline later on. And that other was the intercession of the Son of God praying for Peter that his faith would not fail. What does that tell you about faith? Faith is vulnerable. You you cannot treat your faith flimsy and foolishly. And do you remember, I mean, the apostles did not. Do right? you remember when we went through this study, first wave of apostolic ministry goes into, we still got our map up there, goes into, remember, Iconium and Lystra and Derb, right here and right below Phrygia and Lyconia. Well, do you remember what happened there? Right? Paul shows up, he preaches, and in another little town of, of, not the Antioch to the right, but another Antioch, in those three areas, well, there's the other Antioch up there. The people hated Paul. They freaked out and responded to the first time that he came. And you remember, they all gathered together. It was like they formed a a stoning union out of these three towns, chased him down. I think it was in Lystra and stoned him and left him for dead. All right. So you've got people in Lystra, Iconium and Antioch and Derb, all in that area who want to kill the apostle Paul and they leave him for dead. Worst beating of his life. Everybody really thought he was dead. And they dragged him outside the town, leave his dead carcass out there. And, and God preserved his life. And, and then he goes back to those churches. Now, some of us can say, well, of course he went back. There were lost people that need to be saved. Read the Bible. That's not what it says. He went back to strengthen the disciples. He went back for those who were already Christians because whatever it was that they needed in their life, it was so important that he was willing to put his life on the line again for them to make sure they got it. And then he goes back again to these people. 
This is years later. You see the trail here? Here he is in Antioch. This is the third missionary journey. So here he goes again. Dude, you're going right back through the same territory. You're going to go to Iconium again? I mean, the people watching this guy show up in town got to be scratching their heads. Dude, how many times have we got to beat your brains in before you know, stay away from here? And, and yet the Bible says again, he went through Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening the disciples. Paul, why are you here again? To strengthen, to establish, to confirm, to get the cement firm in the faith of these believers that have chosen to follow Christ. That's what he's doing. Now, if that's what Paul's doing, that's, that tells me the level of need I have. This, this apostolic ministry is willing to put its life on the line to strengthen my faith. Wow, that must be an important thing in my life. Listen, this, this flies in the face of casual American Christianity, cowboy Christianity. You know, and this is a problem. This is a, a huge problem. People who don't get around strong, healthy, vibrant local church ministry. They get saved, uh, and I don't fault this. I'm, I'm grateful for people getting saved, period. But, you know, you watch some guy on TV, you get saved. You read something on the Internet, you get saved. Okay, great. God can use whatever. But you kind of get this cowboy mentality that, hey, I came to Christ, you know, watching the Billy Graham crusade. And just me detached from people. Just me and Jesus, I got saved. God used Billy Graham, and I'm on my own now. I'm, yeah, I'm a Christian on my own. All right. This just doesn't look like this. It doesn't look like anybody, any Christian who's read the Bible very much should ever, 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 ever be on their own. People put their lives on the line to come back for you. So, you know, the casual American Christianity that shows up, gets around others, sometimes, maybe not, got that cowboy approach. Oh, I've been in this church for a little while and that church for a little while. I kind of attend several, you know, I'm kind of like a contract Christian, kind of attend several churches at once. Uh, hey, get somewhere where your faith can be strengthened because it's vital. Don't, don't, don't assume that you're the one Christian who doesn't need to worry about the strengthening of their faith. Can I just tell you, I know people who have fallen away from the faith. Do you know anybody like that? I'm not going to unpack the theology of that. But it's, I'll say in, you know, 21 years of ministry, it's more prevalent now, I think, than it was 10 years ago. To see people fall away, to see their faith become dull and inoperative in their lives. Listen, do not treat your faith like it's on autopilot and you got no role of responsibility in taking care of and walking with it and exposing it to things that are going to strengthen it and make it grow. Well, the other word for apostolic ministry is encouragement. It's the word parakaleo, where we get paraclete, the comforter uh, by the Holy Spirit's ministry. It's very similar. It means to aid or help, to comfort, encourage to call upon someone to do something, to exhort or admonish. Now you're going to get a chance to see, well, how does strengthening happening? Well, it happens through encouragement that has these kinds of qualities to it. This exhorting, this is a common use in Acts and Paul. It implies speaking in God's name, right? So that's what apostolic ministry seeks to do. And with the Spirit's power, right? So it's not just words, it's words with power that the Spirit of God is granting, Evangelistic entreaty is the point in 2 Corinthians 5, but with a note of authority. What is meant is the proclaiming of salvation as also a claim on the will and action of the hearers. All right, listen, this, is, this can be a little awkward because part of what apostolic ministry, I think really just preaching does this, is it speaks with a level of authority. It doesn't speak with absolute Authority and it doesn't speak with absolute correctness, but preaching has a level of authority in it, and it's the primary vehicle through which apostolic ministry takes place. And and it and it does this: it lays claim on the will and the action of the hearers. Do you want to know why you get so hacked off at some of what I say? That's why. No, I, I know I'm. 
probably not saying it the best of ways as well. But part of the reason is it's interfering with, it's touching your will and your actions. And it's laying claim to your will and your actions. It is standing in your life and it's saying, you've been doing this, but you should be doing it like this. And none of us kind of like that. Right? But that's the ministry that God has said, hey, that's how I strengthen faith. I send the word, and this is what the word feels like. A little more on this word. It's often an admonition to those who are already one. People who are already believers. It rests on the saving work of God in Christ and is an inherent part of the apostolic ministry. The Holy Spirit is at work in it, and it is almost a function of prophecy. Accompanying words, and this is helpful, helpful qualifier for those of us in the pulpit. Accompanying words show that the admonition is not sharp, polemical, or critical, even though it is urgent and serious. Right? Hey, I got no problem. You know, somebody tell a joke, you know, be funny, connect with us, make fun of life, whatever. We laugh together. But we need to be able to receive words that are urgent and serious in the kingdom of God. That's what, that's what this ministry was doing. The fact that comfort can be another meaning points in the same direction. The meaning exhortation comes into use both of, for missionary proclamation and pastoral admonition. Right? That's what apostolic ministry is seeking to do. Strengthen and encourage. Look at these passages real quick. Acts 14, 21. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, not start the faith, but continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Acts 15, Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets. This is another example of an Ephesians 4.11, where God gave gifts to the church. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. These guys were prophets They encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. Acts 15.40, Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Churches need strengthening. It's part of apostolic ministry. Acts chapter 11, earlier on. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. All right, listen, I'm not trying to undo apostolic ministry that that evangelizes. But if I'm going to be honest to the text, I'm going to tell you that apostolic ministry is about strengthening existing disciples' lives. Maybe more so than introducing the gospel to the lost. Maybe the evangelist is supposed to be the Ephesians 4.11 guy who's more focused in that category. Listen, I I say this because for some reason the, the Christian world catches the value of lost people being saved. It catches that. We got that. Lost people need to come to know Christ. We want to live our lives right because the lost people. We want to do this because of the lost people. We want to give because of the lost people. But when I look at some of these ministries in the New Testament, I find out a lot of stuff is being done for the saved people. Apostolic ministry is putting its life on the line because saved people need something in their lives. And it's vital and it's important. It's not secondary. It's not to be blown off. So, so if, we, if we take up an offering to minister to this set of people next week, don't, don't anybody be sitting in this room waiting for us to take up an offering to save the lost. To say, hey, well, I'll give as soon as you start talking about saving the lost. Hey, just read your Bible more carefully. See all these people in here? If you care for them well and we strengthen one another in the faith, all these people in here will reach out and save people. do that right, we'll do that right. And you and I are Christians as an example of that. That's what Paul was doing. All right, next point. Apostolic ministry establishes and influences church leaders. A couple of passages there. Acts 14, 23. After they had gone through this region, they had set disciples in place in these churches. And when they had appointed elders... 
for them in every church with prayer and fasting. They committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Right? Local elders are vital for health in these churches. These men who were there for very limited moments sometimes. I mean, he was in Ephesus for a good while, Corinth for a good while, but you get places where Paul was there for a couple of months. You get there where he was there for a few weeks, and churches got established, and what was important, that there would be leadership set in place locally who would care for the disciples who were there. So local elders are a vital part. But who's to be the local elders? And, and how does this church figure that out? Well, apostolic ministry played a role in that. Right? There was a, a connection between the apostolic influence of what should local leaders look like? Right? And you see this again, Paul's connection to the local elders in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, which we'll look at coming up. He said, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, and he began to inform them and instruct them about their role and their call. So Paul had a role in these local elders' lives, right? He's, he's 30, 40 miles away. He passes up Ephesus on his way to go back to Jerusalem. But he calls for the elders, and guess what? The elders come. I don't know exactly what that means. What was Paul going to do? Fine them? Punish them? Did they all come? I don't know. But I, I know this. There was a relationship between extra local ministry and local ministry that when Paul said, hey, I, I want to meet with you guys, those guys welcomed that meeting and went and pursued what Paul had for them so that they could be strengthened in the ministry that they had locally. Now, now I'll say this. Acts chapter 14, very early setting, Again, this is what they did. This is, we're just observing what they did. The apostles appointed the elders in Acts chapter 14. All right, question, right? You're reading your Bible. You should be asking these questions. Does that mean the apostles appointed all the elders in every church? Does that mean for the rest of the Christian world history that apostles should appoint all the elders in local churches? Okay, well, now it doesn't say that but it gives an example where they did. And so we're left to debate, and quite honestly, we're left to disagree on passages like this, where some people would feel like, hey, local elders got no business outside of apostolic influence in what they do with appointing uh, local eldership. Um, all right, I, I think that passage needs to get informed by other passages. Right? We fast forward a bit from Acts 14 all the way to you know, a good 20 plus years later where Paul is writing to Timothy and now he's going to establish and explain how qualifications for elders are to be part of evaluating a person serving in that category. Now, that, that, that's not available to us in Acts chapter 14. The, the teaching on qualified elders comes later. Now, you know, inspiration of God, 500 mistakes in a row. I'm not sure what made that come later, but maybe later on they realize, ooh, <laughs> Wow. Timothy, uh, make sure these guys are qualified before you put them in place. More than likely, that's probably realistic. That probably really did happen. And, and then the qualifications require an observable life known by others. Now, you, now, you've just thrust realistic apostolic ministry into a weakness when you did that. Because apostolic ministry might show up for three months and move on. It might show up for a limited time and interact with the church and move on. And then that local team of people there has to figure out who, who's qualified from among us. Let's call the apostle who doesn't know anyone here. And let's ask him who's qualified locally for us according to 1 Timothy 3. So I think the observability in 1 Timothy 3 informs me a little bit that local churches need to play a role in who their elders are going to be. But I, I don't think that concept divorces apostolic ministry from that role. I mean, what I'd like to see is, is apostolic ministry that stays involved with the influence of who are you considering, why are you considering them, and what thoughts have you given to that? Have you thought through these categories of that person's ability to lead the church? Wow, okay, well, we thought through most of those, but not that one. That's very helpful. I think that kind of give and take is what should be in apostolic ministry involved there. All right, real quick, the roots and patterns of apostolic ministry. 
Right? This, this was the practice of the churches in the New Testament, was to send ministry into local settings to influence and affect them. Right? We look back to Acts chapter 11. Go back there with me. This is before Paul's missionary journeys. This is the explosion out of the church in Jerusalem, and believers have moved to Antioch. And the church in Antioch is going to receive ministry from the church in Jerusalem, right? So Acts 11, verse 19. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. They hear about some believers getting established in Antioch, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. What does the church in Jerusalem do when it finds out there are believers who are popping up in Antioch, who need to be strengthened. They understand this need. They pick up one of their own, a beloved man named Barnabas, and they send him to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, right? So another extra local minister is now being sought out to come into this local setting. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Then further, now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them was Agabus. And he begins to explain a situation that's going to happen and they begin to coordinate something of a relief effort based on Agabus's word. And that relief effort is sent through the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So you get a big education right there about the roots of apostolic ministry. The church in Jerusalem sees the need in Antioch and sends some of their own into that setting. Men who are gifted and called in a particular way go to that setting. Not just Barnabas, but prophets as well are going to come from Jerusalem and going to minister in Antioch as well. And so, all right, we're just observing, right? This is a pattern we see. We see that in scripture. We see it again, Acts chapter 13. You just flip over a page or so. That church in Antioch now is a thriving church. It's healthy, it's strong. And and then we just zoom in at a little point later on, several years later. Now there were in the church in Antioch prophets and teachers, right? Your Ephesians 4.11 gifts, Barnabas, Simeon and Niger, etc., Verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. They prayed and fasted, laid their hands on them and sent them, and boom, off into the first missionary journey they go. All right, so we've got a pattern developing here. Jerusalem identifies gifted men and sends them to Antioch. Antioch identifies gifted men and sends them out into the mission field. And then you have other churches, right? The practice of the churches in Galatia, Macedonia, and Achaia. Right? Now, if you read through the, the New Testament, we just read one passage in, in Acts chapter 20 where you had a bunch of guys' names and where they were from, right? You remember when we read that? It was a really boring part that we tend to read fast, right? This dude named Sopater from Berea. There was Thessalonians there. There were some Asians there. There was, a, there was Timothy who was from Lystra. Where did those guys come from? Well, they were sent and released by their churches. Timothy's a young believer in Lystra when Paul says, uh, I, I think you need to come with me. And if you follow Timothy in the New Testament, he's going to be all over the place. He's going to be in this church, he's going to be in that church. He's going to be ministering extra locally in several locations. Uh, Tychicus and Trophimus from Asia are going to be deployed in a variety of ways. Apollos, I'm not sure where Apollos is actually from. But he's from somewhere, but he's found in multiple locations ministering in different churches as well. And then you have Paul and this team, right? In Acts 20, there's a team of guys, those guys we just listed. And if you go from the early church in Jerusalem, sending Barnabas as an apostolic act, and you zoom in some 30 years later, this is 30 years later in 2 Timothy 4 in your outline, verse 9. Paul is writing and he says, 
Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Now he's going to tell you where the rest of the team is deployed. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Right, 30 years later, I just want you to see something, right? You have Jerusalem as an example. You have Antioch as an example. You have the churches that got planted throughout the regions as an example. And then 30 years later, you still got the Apostle Paul directing traffic. I've got this guy going to the church over here. I've got this guy going to the church over here. I've got Timothy going over here. Uh, Tychicus is going to be over here. Why was all that happening? Because of the need for disciples to be strengthened uniquely by the gifts that these men would bring. Was it because nothing was happening there locally? No, not at all. There were things happening there. By the time Barnabas shows up in Antioch, revival is already happening. People are getting saved. There's an outreach as believers sharing the gospel with one another. That's why he's there. But there was something Barnabas was going to bring to that church in Antioch that the local guys apparently weren't going to bring. And then Barnabas recognizes there's something that Saul of Tarsus needs to bring to this church that I can't bring. So he brings in someone else. All right, so here's the observable pattern of apostolic ministry in the scriptures. Now, let me me zoom in on on us and, and talk for a second, your last little section of the cost and current practice of apostolic ministry. Um, you know, within Sovereign Grace, the family of churches we're a part of, we've sought to maintain an aspect of this ministry uh, and the way in which it's modeled and what we observe in the scriptures, this apostolic ministry model. Its purpose is to establish, strengthen, and support local churches by importing extra local ministry into local church settings. Um, One of the things that I was drawn to in looking at the way in which Sovereign Grace did ministry was this aspect of the New Testament that quite often gets neglected. It's, I mean, I'm a simple guy. I just see it in the Bible and I don't want to export it as a mandate. You've got to do it exactly this way. I don't see that in the Bible in some of these instances. I see an example here that I think because it's there, because God preserved it, it's a good idea. I think this is a good idea. I've got no reason to argue with it. I see it as a pattern. I see it as observable. I see it as, as replicable. So when we looked at sovereign grace, one of the things that we saw was a pattern of ministry that I think we want something like that. Now, sovereign grace through the years has wrestled and struggled with what exactly does that ministry do? What is it called exactly? And, and I, think that's, I think that's understandable. As a matter of fact, I think it's kind of the way it should be when you're wrestling with something that doesn't scream at you in absolutes. Apostolic ministry doesn't leap off the pages of the New Testament and says, do it exactly like this, always this way. It's just there and we're seeking to benefit from it. So through the years, there, there, was, a, there was an apostolic team of men who were identified to serve the church in this sort of a fashion. Then the, the verbiage of apostolic kind of got an allergic reaction in the body of Christ, so we began to call it a leadership team. We'll call it that. still going to function like this, but it's a leadership team. It's extra local ministry that's seeking to serve local churches. And, and that kind of morphed, and we still have leadership team. Now we have regional leaders and leadership team that are seeking to be extra local uh, ministry into local church settings. So that's what sovereign grace is trying to do. I don't think it's doing it perfectly. Uh, I think it's aiming at something that uh, is important and is valuable, but it's learning how to do it. It's learning where we've overstepped some boundaries in the past. There were some problems with the way in which some of this was done. Uh, We'll probably understep some things in the future as a point of swinging the pendulum. But providentially, right, this, this passage finds us this morning providentially Uh, with us needing to understand this because it's going to affect us. It's going to have a cost for us as a local church. I shared with you guys a a few weeks ago uh, that I'd been asked to play the role of being the regional leader for our region in Sovereign Grace. So uh, when I look at these passages, the need for and the importance of strengthening and encouragement that's there 
uh, that, that's what makes me step toward this. I don't step towards this role uh, because I, I think I have some extraordinary thing to bring uh, or because I, I'm eager for some position. I, I, I step toward it because I see the reality that there is a need for churches to be strengthened and encouraged. The ways in which these passages describe. So what, what Sovereign Grace has done in recognizing that, this is a, and you guys can look through the Sovereign Grace Book of Church Order to see, well, exactly what are you going to be doing? Well, here's a Reader's Digest version, which is what most of us don't want to read any more than that anyway. Regional leader in Sovereign Grace polity. The regional leaders do not occupy a special office in addition to that of an elder, but rather are elders whose gifting for broader leadership is recognized by the regional assembly of elders. Therefore, the regional leader is recognized and elected by the elders in his region and is accountable to them. And not too long of a list of roles and responsibilities uh, would include moderating the, the regional assembly of elders, the guys who, the pastors who make up our region, involvement in identifying and evaluating regional committee members, guys who have an ability to serve in some capacity in our region, advising and supporting local eldership teams, identifying and supporting church planning efforts in the region and strengthening the doctrinal values that we share. Um, all right, me doing this comes at a cost. A cost all over the place. A cost to you as a local church. Now, unlike Paul and Barnabas, I don't have any intention of relocating I'm going to stay here. I'm just going to visit other places. I don't intend to go live in any of them uh, for years or months, even for that matter. Uh, but it's going, it's going to cost us something as I seek to walk with other churches and seek to relate to other leaders and seek to be involved with the forming of their churches and the strengthening of their churches and the, the assisting of the local elderships in the mission that we share together in the gospel. It, it's going to cost us something to do that. But that's New Testament Christianity. Right? The second you and I turn Christianity into American Christianity, it stops costing us. It only provides benefits, right? That's what American Christianity does. It's all about what I can get next. And so local churches can, can tend to kind of get real possessive of the things that we want a certain way, we want them done a certain way, losing sight of the larger mission of what needs to take place in the furtherance of the gospel. You know, you and I are here today loving God, part of a local church, because somebody named Barnabas and somebody named Paul and Tychicus went somewhere else and strengthened what was there so that those could send people somewhere else so that those could strengthen what was there and send somewhere else. And the gospel could go where the gospel is gone. But it, it's, I, I don't really know exactly. I'm still kind of getting used to the idea and thinking through what that's going to look like for me and for the region and for us locally. But it, it's going to touch us but, you know, I think as I, as I hesitate on some of those things and as I wrestle with um, adding that to my life and adding that to us as a local team of leaders, when I, when I see in Scripture that they answered the call to do that, there was a cost. But it was a cost that brought about something that would not have happened if that cost hadn't been paid. Right? Acts chapter 6 is an adjustment to the leadership and the way the leadership was functioning. And you know who it cost in a unique way that they don't apologize for in Scripture? They're excited about it. It cost a guy named Philip. And it cost a guy named Stephen. Because whatever they were before Acts chapter 6, they've just been sought out as men who were full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. And they're being tapped and said, hey, we, we need you to step forward. And men like Stephen became uh, martyrs for the gospel and Philip... Philip ended up traveling all over the place and influencing many to come to Christ. And perhaps those guys never find their ministry until some other adjustments get made. So in, in some ways, it may be these kinds of adjustments that right, there's a ripple effect that this, that this creates. 
right? So if, if I'm giving my energy and time and effort somewhere else, then, then the next group of guys are going to be affected by that. All the pastors and elders get affected by that. It, it means they've got to own something in a different way here. And it means small group leaders have to own some things in a different way. It, it means there may be some Timothys in the midst of us who, who need to own what God wants you to be doing in your life in a different way. Not just to have this idea that I think maybe God wants me to do something, but for you to own it in such a way that you're ready to change your life. You're ready to answer a call. You're ready to live differently amongst the people of God. I think that's what God does in some of these moments. So what I want to say, I want you guys to be informed. It was providential that when Peter stopped, he stopped in these logistical passages because they, they land us in what we see throughout the New Testament. Ministry being sent from one local church into another local church with the value of strengthening and encouraging the work of God that's there. And, and listen, we, we are all going to participate in that. Right? Let's, let's not be a church that has some kind of an inaccurate, weird view about ourselves. See, it's the vibrancy of local churches that produces these kinds of opportunities. So the reason why Jeff is on the North Shore leading a church in a new location with opportunities that are there to strengthen those disciples and to reach out is because this church's health and vibrancy strengthen that man so that that man could be sent. The reason why Matt Mason is in uh, Brook Hills influencing all kinds of worship leaders and serving in a much larger capacity than he was serving here was because of the vibrancy of people here who loved that man and served him and saw his faith grow and his gifting develop so that he could be deployed into what God has for him. So we all participate in this together. It costs all of us in some ways. But I want us to do this morning. I want us to, to pray for a moment. So let's, before we get out of here, let's, let's stand up together. I just, I want you to just volunteer your heart for a moment, you know, without all the complexities of, you know, what does this look like? What does it look like for us? How does it affect things? You know, Let's not do logistics yet. Let's just put our heart before God for a moment in the category of strengthening. That's why I just want to ask the Lord to, to reach into our hearts this morning. Would you help us as we are here gathered to have a fresh awareness and a fresh urgency about the need for the ministry of strengthening disciples. Lord, thank you for the passion that we have to see the lost, have their names written in your book, their sins forgiven, and their life indwelt by your spirit. We should be passionate about that. Lord, would you awaken in us an awareness and an urgency for how you see the condition of disciples, that they would be established, that they would be strengthened, that their roots would go deep, that they would be ready to weather the storms. Oh God, we know there's going to be storms. Lord, we have lived in storms. We've experienced our faith being stretched and challenged. We have been pushed to the edge of despair in our own lives. Lord, we know something about stretched faith. Lord, you're eager to strengthen faith, to establish faith, to protect faith. Lord, would you help each of us, Lord, not just leaders who are trying to care for others, but God, every one of us to be aware that that's a principle of truth we see in the word. I pray that for us personally. I pray that there's not a person in this room this morning who's capable of having sat through this meeting and walking out of here with a sense of my, my faith is already established. My faith is already vibrantly strong. I, I can turn my back on it. But would you renew our thoughts in that category? 
Would you give us eyes to see the eagerness and urgency of men like Paul who traveled to people like us to deepen and strengthen our faith for the storms that lie ahead, for the purposes that we're called to, to give us the ability to step out in faith and do things we never thought we'd do, but we've answered the call. Young Timothys who leave home, leave family, leave church and walk in your purpose. Lord, would you awaken in us this morning? Lord, what we see in these passages is our need. We see us needing our strength, our faith to be revitalized in strength. And so do other churches. So do other elders, leaders in local churches, Lord. Others need strength as well. So, Father, we welcome your wisdom in this category. Lord, how will you strengthen us? How will you reach us? Lord, we believe that when you ascended on high, you gave gifts to men. And those gifts refer to us being strengthened and growing into maturity, Lord. So we believe that you have established a way for us to receive strength in our lives and for churches and leaders to receive strength. And, Father, lead us, Lakeview Christian Center, 2014. Lord, far removed from guys like Barnabas and Paul, but here because of men like Barnabas and Paul. God, would you lead us now to play our part, to be the people you've called us to be, step forward in faith, walk and see you strengthen and vitalize the faith of others, our own here in this church, but Lord, others as well, others throughout this region. Lord, may we see an opportunity to play a role as a church in the lives of other churches as we invest in them, care for them, pray for them, and believe that, Lord, you will strengthen, confirm, and establish your work in other places by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I bless you guys. Y'all have a great week. If you didn't register, you can still do that on your way out.